Episode 23 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on January 29th, 2017. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, I'll talk about Game Update 5.1 and my favorite new way to earn CXP. Also this week, Bioware held a producer's live stream to talk about Game Update 5.2. The phrase, new operation, was uttered. I'll give you all the details. Finally this week, I'll continue my Knights of the Eternal Throne deep dive as I review Chapter 3, Dark Reunions. Can you say? Kneel before the dragon of Zakul. I knew you could. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Well, welcome to episode 23 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. And just, uh, you know, I do try and keep this at 30 minutes or less, but I don't think that's going to happen today. I think we're probably going to run over because there is a lot going on in the Old Republic right now. So first up, as always, let's review some announcements for the Old Republic. And only one announcement this week, and that's an update on the discounted character transfers. And, well, it's still going on. And according to Eric Musco, they will remain at their discounted price for the foreseeable future. And they'll give at least one week's notice before reverting the price back to uh, 1,000 CC. So the cost is currently 90 cartel coins, which is pretty cheap. And you can bounce characters back and forth as much as you like. So, all right, with that, it's now time to slice the holonet and go over the news this week. And first up is emergency maintenance. That's right. Uh, if you tried to log into the game, I think it was on January 27th, you saw that the servers were sort of mysteriously taken down without uh, much warning, and uh, they had to do a bit of emergency maintenance. So what was that all about? Well, this is what Eric Musco had to say, and he said there was an issue that when someone in certain zones completed a mission, and hit the accept button to complete it, they would receive the rewards, but the mission wouldn't actually complete. And this meant someone could infinitely hit the accept button over and over again and reap those rewards. So anyway, uh, so it sounds like uh, it was reported by a few people, and they caught it very quickly and got it resolved. Uh, unfortunately, they did have to take the servers down unexpectedly to do that, but hey, it's done, it's over with, and... Uh, that's that. So the other big news uh, from this past week, of course, was the producer's live stream that was held on January the 25th, and uh, where, among other things, they announced some of the content plan for Game Update 5.2, which will release at the end of March or in early April. So Game Update 5.2 is called The War for Iocath, and it includes master modes for uprisings, a new storyline, returning companions, a new daily area, and wait for it, a new operation. So let me start with the new operation. It's going to have five bosses, and it's going to be released in stages. So Game Update 5.2 will introduce the first boss, and it will have story and veteran modes to start. 
and then throughout the year, the remaining bosses will be released along with the master mode uh, difficulty for the first boss and then uh, the successive bosses as well. Now, it's not clear if this is a single op instance where you kill the first boss and then a new wing with trash that leads to the next boss opens up, or if each boss will have its own instanced area, and when they're unlocked, you can go straight to one and do them in any order you wish. We just don't know that yet. I suspect it might be the latter, though, and and it might be self-directed and boss-heavy and trash-light, but uh, no details about the actual logistics on this operation have been released. Right now, we just know that there are going to be five bosses. Uh, it was also noted, uh, they didn't mention this in the live stream, but Eric Musco mentioned on the forums, that it will be both eight-man and 16-man. So the idea that maybe they were trying to scrap 16-man, nope, it's going to have a 16-man mode. And the idea that they were going to try and get rid of those nightmare modes, right, uh, which is now called master mode, well, that's not happening either. This will have story, veteran, and master mode difficulties. Now, as far as the first boss is concerned, we'll be fighting Tithe, who is a member of the Zakulian Pantheon and is their god of rage. They said the encounter should be challenging and that it was designed by the guy who did the Revan encounter in the Temple of Sacrifice. And I have to say, hearing this gave me pause and just made me wonder a little bit about the size of their ops team. Because they made it sound like their ops team is ops team is now one guy sitting alone in a dark room just thinking of different ways to kill us. And I have to say, it's kind of creepy and I hope I never meet them. I am looking forward to this operation though. And if you want to know more about Tithe and the Zakulian pantheon of old gods, Ravenel from Corellian Run Radio wrote an amazing post on her blog, which is revelation.blogspot.com. And the post is titled, Who is Tithe? The War for Iacath and the Old Gods Swotor Raid Boss Speculation. Now, her theory is that the other four bosses will be the remaining gods from Zakul's pantheon, which makes all kinds of sense, and I think she's right. In addition, she has tons of information on not just Tithe, but the others as well. So if you like the lore, which I do, you will absolutely enjoy this post. So head over to her blog and check it out. And I will have a link to the post in the show notes. And I've also tweeted about it as well. So you can find it uh, somewhere on my, my Twitter timeline if you follow me on Twitter. And by the way, I continue to be impressed by how much background lore and story exists solely to support the main story. Now, as I mentioned, we're getting one of the five bosses in game update 5.2. The others will be released throughout the year. Now, in the live stream, they said that they thought about releasing everything at once, but releasing the entire op later, excuse me. So they thought about releasing everything all at once, but then delaying the entire operation until later in the year. But that based on feedback, more people were interested in getting a little something now rather than than continuing to wait. Now, I believe that to be true, and while it's a bit unconventional, I think this works quite well for Star Wars The Old Republic. But I also believe that there was an economic factor in the decision to stagger the releases. Now, with the release of Knights of the Fallen Empire, there's been an increased focus on trying to get people to subscribe to the game and to to stay subscribed each month. They doubled down on that idea in Knights of the Eternal Throne, by locking free-to-play players out of pretty much all of the new content. Now in Knights of the Fallen Empire, they stretch things out by staggering the story chapters. 
They went away from that in Eternal Throne, but now they're doing it with the Ops bosses. Not only is this aimed at keeping people subscribed, but, but you know, with each update, they release a new cartel pack. And that's as big a source of revenue in my mind, if not greater than the subscriptions themselves. And not only that, but those cartel packs, they're not targeted at free-to-play players. They're targeted towards the subscribers. We are the ones who are buying them up and consuming them, not the people that don't subscribe to the game. Because think about it. I mean, if you can't, I don't know, find the means to subscribe to the game, or if you don't care enough about the game to actually have a subscription, you certainly aren't going to throw money at the cartel market and buy cartel packs. It's just not going to happen. So really, I believe the main consumers of these cartel packs are, in fact, the subscribers. And they do tend to release these packs with every game update. And, you know, unlike World of Warcraft, which can survive large content gaps, I don't think Star Wars The Old Republic can afford to go very very long without releasing something new. And ops are a pretty big draw for people, and stretching them out, I believe, will help to keep people around. And I'm not saying that this is this is a good thing or necessarily a bad thing. I think this is just kind of the world we live in, so to speak, when it comes to Star Wars The Old Republic. And it's kind of like we're, we're going on a road trip, right? And we're driving our car. And with the Old Republic, we start to run out of gas, and then they release a little bit of content, right, just further down the road, and they fill up the tank. But not all the way. They fill it up a little bit, and just enough to get you to the next destination and the next station, and then they release something like a game update 5.2, right, and there's the first raid boss. And so we're, you know, we've got a little bit more fuel in the tank, and then we drive a little bit further, and then we start to run out again, but then they will release game update 5.3, and they fill the car up just a little bit again. World of Warcraft, on the other hand, they give you a full tank of gas and a cooler full of food and beverages, and you hit the road until there's nothing left, and then you're stranded for eight months with nothing to do until they resupply you. And that's one of the things I actually like about Star Wars The Old Republic, is that they are able to release something new every month or or maybe every other month. It really is a fairly constant stream of new content. Now, it's not always operations, obviously, because it's been, what, two years since there's been a new operation, but we have gotten plenty of new content almost every month, uh, probably since they did Shadow of Revan, probably since Zyost, right? I think Zyost um, was the end of Shadow of Revan, and that's really, starting from them, we started to get little things. I think we got some stuff that summer, like the Stronghold, Tragruda, leading up into Knights of the Fallen Empire, and then ever since then, we've just getting getting a little bit, uh, you know, every month, every other month, and that's continued through Knights of the Eternal Throne. But I think that, you know, the reason we're getting these staggered bosses is to keep people engaged, keep them hanging around, just, you know, fill up that little bit of a tank, keep us moving, and also keep us buying those cartel packs. And you know what? I think with Knights of the Fallen Empire, I mean, you know, it's all subjective, right, whether or not this stuff is good. But, I mean, people like that stuff. I like that stuff. People like getting those unstable Peacemakers lightsabers. I mean, I follow a lot of people on Twitter, and the number of folks just showing off their bold Hellions armor sets on their various different characters... People like getting armor, people like getting mounts, people like getting uh, weapons, and they like it when their characters look good. I mean, look, let's face it, there's an entire site, Tor Fashion, dedicated to the various different outfits that people come up with and can create for their characters. So that is a 
big part of the game and people people like it probably more than than they're they're willing to talk about and so i think you know the whole idea of the cartel market is tying it's a big reason why i think they chose to stagger the these bosses um you know and it's also probably why something i think they probably thought about ahead of time right they said well we're going to do a new new operation in knights of the eternal throne and i think they knew that going into the expansion and they probably pulled some people with the you know asking would you be okay if we went with this method uh, hoping that the response would be favorable because that was likely the direction that they were hoping to go in and that's what they probably planned from the i'm guessing they planned from the outset that they didn't just decide okay you know knights of the eternal throne is released it's you know january here early january we're getting some feedback what do we want to do what do we want to do next oh all right i guess we'll do an operation and they just pulled one out of their hat as well as a whole new storyline on Iocath and everything. No, that stuff takes planning, takes time. You got to schedule voiceover actors. You got to write that storyline and, and everything else, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but anyway, uh, but, but I, I, I think, you know, that probably also factored a little bit into why they decided, Hey, let's give them the whole story up front because we'll have these operations bosses that we can stagger, uh, later on in the expansion and we'll just use the op to do what we did with the story chapters in Knights of the Fallen Empire. So there you go. And again, I'm not sh- I think it probably just, it is what it is. And that's just what this game needs to function. So, all right. Well, uh, I- I- enough of that. Let's, let's talk about, um, some other stuff here. So in addition to the operation, we're also getting a new storyline and a new daily area. Now I don't get to do this often, but as they say, even a broken clock is right two times a day. So let me fire up the Wayback Machine and we're going to go all the, we're going to go back in time all the way to last week and episode 22 where I talked about future story and how it might play out. And here is what I said. And so maybe that would be the first big choice you'd make in this next story is which side do you help? The Sith Empire or the Galactic Republic? And this could start two very different story arcs and would involve us maybe even handing over the Eternal Throne to someone on Zakul and just saying goodbye. Now that was my idea for future story. And here's what Charles Boyd said about the storyline coming in game update 5.2 during the live stream. But as soon as your scouts arrive, we'll learn some new interesting things such as uh, they also find some scouts from some other people. Uh, the Galactic Republic and the Sith Empire. All three groups have moved in on Iocath, and it's uh, going to be up to you as the Alliance Commander to uh, choose a side between them, choose which side to support, and uh, ultimately lead the charge to that superweapon and uh, secure it against your enemies. That's right. And as you can see, it's eerily similar to what I talked about. Mine was a bit grander in scale, but the idea that we're now our own faction and that the story would involve the Empire and the Republic and that we would need to choose a side, I think, was spot on. Now, this story is going to give us the opportunity to get back two companions. We're probably going to get back one of two companions, but they are Malave Quinn and Alara Dorn. And depending on which faction we side with, will not only determine how we interact with Quinn and Dorn, but may impact the return of future companions as well. Now, I hope the choice to kill Quinn and get Alara back are not mutually exclusive. Like many out there, I still resent Quinn for his betrayal, and I'm also a big fan of Alara. So for me, getting her back is a no-brainer in pretty much what I will likely do on virtually all my characters. 
Now, of course, they didn't get into a lot of detail about this, but this did some spark um, some questions over on the forums this week uh, that Eric Musco took the time to follow up on. So let me just review that real quick. And someone asked, if my Jedi Knight elects to side with the Empire to obtain Quinn, and because uh, she's beyond frustrated with the Republic, and then according to Charles, this may affect future companion recruitment, does that mean she won't be able to get any of the future Republic-sided companions or just some? Oresso, meaning Felix Oresso, was mentioned as an example, and it would make sense for him not to wish to join a traitor, but Lord Scourge, for example, the Jedi Knight's own companion, realistically, he wouldn't slash shouldn't care. He'll probably rejoice. So what of companions like him? Will he become off-limits too if my Jedi Knight sides with the Empire? And then they also ask, you know, what of our already recruited companions such as Theron and Eric Jordan? If we're Jedi, smuggler, trooper, but side with the Empire, will we lose them? Or say Pierce in a reverse situation if your Sith chooses with the Republic? And then they also ask, I assume romances with Alara and Quinn will be resumed in this new patch. So here, to, to the first point, here's what Eric Musco said. He said, that is a bit of a complicated question, so let me work on it. We'll get the answer out before 5.2 so we informed of the choice. So in other words, they don't really sure quite, you know, what the impact of you siding with the Empire or the Republic is. But keep an eye out for that information. Of course, when, when they say something, I'll, I'll, I'll report it on a future podcast. But yeah, that is a big deal, right? Because you don't want to get locked out of a choice, uh, somewhere down the line because of something you did now that you had no idea what the impact might be later on. So I think that's, that's, that's a great question. And, uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, he went on to say the choices you make in 5.2 will not impact companions that you already have, which is good. And then he went on to say about the romance option. He said, yes, warriors and troopers will be able to continue the romance with these companions. However, note that it is possible that some of your past decisions could come back to impact your relationship. Obviously, if you decided to choose a romance with Theron or Lana, yeah, that might impact how these guys feel about it when they come back. Now, the story, of course, will take place on Iocath, and there will be a new daily quest area. And once again, I want to fire up the Wayback Machine, and this time I'm taking you back to episode 15, where I said this about daily quest areas. And then you got to do other things, including, uh, getting inside a ginormous robot, which was, which was awesome. So I'm really glad that they're finally able to come up with more creative things to do, not just in the stories, but, um, in terms of quests, if you will. And maybe this will be a stepping stone if they ever decide to create a new daily zone instead of just, you know, click on this, blow this up, kill 10 of these, collect 20 of those that maybe they can now start to give us some more interesting things to do um, in, in the form of, say, a series of daily quests or planetary quests or something like that. So, so it's nice that they we're seeing these capabilities enter into the game. And not only just questing, but maybe, and I sort of talked about this before with the uprisings, which I'll get into in just a little bit. And now here is what Ben Irving had to say about the new area coming in game update 5.2. 
So I don't know if you want to talk about this at all because it could be spoilery. So feel sure. free to just say that's, just cut a, you off that's a silly suggestion. <laughs> um, but you, in this daily area, you can do things that are very different than other daily areas. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we can talk about there? A little couple hints, uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've uh, we've added some new gameplay. Certainly, you know, in the recent chapters, like being able to take command of a walker uh, in the on Voss or uh, on Odessin. You know, we're definitely looking into doing stuff like that and expanding those options even into some new areas. Uh, which I won't get into quite yeah. yet. Uh, it's also my first impression right. kind of going through it and, yeah. and taking a look at it was, oh, wow, this feels like a, a V2.0 of a daily area. Yeah, you know, very much so. Taking all those learnings from before and made some cool new stuff. Yeah, well. that was very much our goal, right? We wanted to... Now, as I said earlier, even a blind squirrel can find a nut once again, and my thoughts on the new quests are in line with what the developers are giving us. I, I like having a new daily zone. It's a source of credits, CXP, and it's a new place to visit with something new to do. And the fact that the quest will be more than just kill 10 of this and collect 10 of that means it will probably be fun and something worth doing every day. And I do believe it's going to be integrated into like the planetary quest, right? So it'll be part of the galactic command system uh, as well. Now, it should also be noted that there will be a couple of reputations associated with the story. One if you side with the Empire, and one if you side with the Republic. So, uh, on to some other topics that were covered in the live stream. They talked about Galactic Command gearing, and they're still getting feedback that it's taking too long. Yes, it's taking too long. And that they'll have information on adjusting the speed of this sometime next week. Now, I'll definitely talk about that uh, next show, and just, just to... Just to say, I think last week I reported I was uh, Galactic Command rank level 42 on my main tune. And as of today that I'm recording, I think I'm finally up to Galactic Command level 56. So I eh, made a fair amount of progress uh, the, the, this past week. Um, they said that they are looking to increase the CXP rewards from operations, that this will happen sometime in the next four to eight weeks. So when that happens, operations will become a a better source of uh, CXP than they are now. They also said they're looking to do a double CXP event, which could happen the next two to four weeks. My guess is it's probably going to be like the last week of February. And the reason I say that is because I'm going out of town. I'll be on vacation again and out of town. So, of course, they're going to do it when I'm away, and I'm just going to miss out on it, and I'm just going to be very, very, very sad. But, uh, But no date yet, but sometime in the next two to four weeks. Uh, they also mentioned that there is a 99.9% chance that there will be a Cantina Tour at Star Wars Celebration in Orlando. So I'm going to SWCO, so if there's an event, I'll be sure to attend. I, I went to the one at, uh, at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, and, I, and I've talked about these before. They're fun. Great fun. Good chance to, to meet some of the people that not only work on the game, but other folks like us that play the game. So, so looking very, very much looking forward to that if they do that. So. Uh, and finally, they talked about the PTS, the public test server. Uh, so everything they talked about with Game Update 5.2, especially the operation boss, will be going up there, up on their PTS, but they haven't decided if it will be an open or closed test. I'll just say this. Make it open and try to get as many people to test as possible. In fact, I think they should put all their stuff on the PTS. And that way, when something goes live, like, say, Game Update 5.1, Chances are things like being able to queue for the brand spanking new uprisings will not be broken the day that it launches. So that's it for the live stream. Uh, I did want to talk about, I did 
want to talk about one thing related to game update 5.1, and that's the master mode story chapters. One, they're hard, and two, they're also a great source of CXP, especially if you're a solo player, and you get anywhere from 1100 to 1250 CXP, depending on perks and boosts. In fact, someone um, I saw on Twitter, I think got 1800 CXP uh, off of one, and I think that was with like their light dark side alignment the character perks and a cartel market boost as well so and it was like the bonus um event for that particular day and they got like almost eight, over 1800 cxp that was crazy but i i've seen some people talk about knights of the fallen empire chapter one the hunt as the way to go because it's short and while it is short that droid at the end packs quite a wallop uh it took me a while, but I can finally defeat him. But I don't know if I'm yet to the point where I have him on farm, per se. Um, now, the first time you try it, uh, Darth Mara will get a big burst of influence, which is very nice. He went from 2 to 28 for me. I then took him to the fleet and boosted him up to 50. And even at influence level 50, he's still barely able to heal me through it. Now, Chapter 2 of Knights of the Fallen Empire, A Dream of Empire, is an entirely different matter. It's equally short, taking at most 15 minutes, and is much more doable. I've been running this virtually nonstop, and I haven't been doing anything glitchy or gimmicky either. Uh, you, you have to pay attention, and sometimes the NPCs can get in some lucky shots, but it's not too bad. And, and, I, and it should be noted, I'm doing this on my main tune, which is a mercenary um, uh, arsenal discipline, so I am ranged DPS. So I'm go running through chapter two as ranged DPS. I don't know how it works with other range classes. I don't know how it is for melee. I can j I just know that for uh, mercenary, and I guess likewise for a commando, uh, it's it's pretty good, and you, and, and you ought to give it a try. Uh, things to things to note: most normal NPCs in there behave like normal NPCs. They're weak, and you can easily dispatch them. Uh, I do recommend single targeting them rather than AOE, as AOE may not be strong enough to get them down quickly. And although they don't pose a real challenge, they can get in some critical hits. So you do have to be mindful of your health and ready to pop a med pack or a defensive CD if they happen to get in a lucky shot or two. Same goes for the for the elite NPCs. If you're facing more than one, then CC is advisable. Also be prepared to interrupt and create some distance between you, yourself, and the enemy if they're melee and you're ranged. Uh, the big challenge in Chapter 2 is the monolith at the end. And as long as you can kite and interrupt, you should be fine. You actually get a buff from Valkorion that increases your damage and gives you some healing while you're in combat. And he will heal you uh, as if you had a companion. So... Uh, you know, like I said, it's just the way that they, they've chosen to offset the fact that you don't have a companion for, for this chapter. So, uh, anyway, I did a walkthrough video, which you can find on my YouTube channel, and I'll post, uh, it in the show notes as well. So give chapter two a dream of empire and look into master mode and grind out some fast CXP. All right. Well, I said I was going to go long today. I am going to go long today. So, uh, the last thing I wanted to do was kind of go, get back into my Knights of the Eternal Throne deep dive and talk about Chapter 3, Dark Reunions. So unlike previous chapters, I'm not going to give a complete blow-by-blow -blow on this one. Rather, I thought I'd summarize the key events and talk about what's happening. So the key takeaways from this chapter are, one, Koth is batshit crazy, and if you had any reservations about killing him, this chapter will certainly push you in the direction of ending his journey. 
Uh, two, Valkorian has a secret weapon to defeat Balin, which has been, which he has been sitting on all of this time. And then three, Scorpio has a bottomless pit of ulterior motives and continues to be a master manipulator. Now, if you recall, at the end of chapter two, Scorpio and Balin managed to trick their way aboard the gravestone. Koth managed to escape their capture and is hiding on the ship and calls us for help. He's also managed to lock down the ship's systems. Scorpio and Valen have the bridge, but they don't have the ship yet. Because the gravestone is such an important asset, we race off to save the ship. One of the things I liked is that we board the ship using a boarding pod. Uh, they're escape pod-like vehicles designed to breach the ship's a ship's hull. And it's a nice departure from taking a perfectly good shuttle and making a spectacular crash landing in another ship's landing bay. Another thing I liked is that we got to play as a mouse droid. Uh, one of the ship's areas is locked down, and we need to use the mouse droid to enable door controls. And it's a simple maze-slash-puzzle where you have to avoid being spotted by patrolling sky troopers. So it's a combination of stunning them and sneaking behind them. Now, why a mouse droid roaming the halls would cause them concern isn't clear. Maybe they just hate mouse droids, but it's a fun little quest nonetheless. Now, eventually, we find Koth, and the conversations vary a little depending on whether he left your alliance or not. But as I said before, it turns out that Koth is batshit crazy, and he's put in a failsafe to prevent anyone else from taking over the gravestone. Now, to unlock the bridge controls, you need to enter a passcode, which only Koth knows, and then you need to enter a hidden secondary passcode, again, which only which Koth knows. Not only that, but in his infinite wisdom, Koth has wired the gravestone with a quantum bomb, and actually you get a codex entry for a quantum bomb, and the bottom line is these things are very dangerous, they're very unstable and unpredictable, and that most military units don't even waste their time with them. That's how bad these things are. So, uh, and failure to input this secondary passcode will trigger the bomb's detonation sequence. Now, Scorpio, of course, is determined to gain control of the gravestone, and she convinces Valen to torture Koth's crew in hopes of gaining information that will help her uh, figure out the passcode. So Valen starts with Len Parvik, and she's able to get enough information to decrypt the first passcode, and uh, so Scorpio does end up getting control of the ship, at which point Valen is now able to pinpoint our location, and she leaves the bridge to come after us. Now, while this is happening, we're running around with Koth attempting to defuse uh, the bomb uh, with the final fuse being on the bridge. So when we arrive on the bridge, Valen, of course, is gone. And Scorpio, it turns out, is gone as well. And this is where we learn that Scorpio is sort of doing her thing again. Because like we said, we get to the bridge and she and Valen aren't there. And Koth is now scratching his head wondering why the heck the bomb wasn't triggered as the first passcode was entered before we defused everything. And then this is when Scorpio contacts us and reveals that she just wants the ship and she knew about the secondary failsafe and basically she sent Valen to go and kill us. Nice. So now we have this confrontation with Valen in which Valkorian reveals himself to her and during our altercation he blurts out kneel before the dragon of Zakul which subdues her and renders her powerless for the moment. And it turns out that when he took her away as a child and sent her to Nathema, he had her brainwashed and conditioned. 
Now, I'm not an expert on conditioning, but kneel before the dragon is a cool, while a cool phrase seems a little long um, when you're trying to condition someone, especially against a force user who can get from one side of the room to the other in an instant. And I feel like if I were to face her, uh, go face to face with her in real life, I'd get like half the words out before she struck me down. You'd be like, kneel before the, and I'd be dead, right? And dead. But, uh, but then again, she is an arch villain, and one thing arch villains like to do is give grand speeches and pontificate on the many ways they're going to kill you and make you suffer. So because of that, I could probably actually make a song out of the phrase and get it out with, with no problem. By the way, I'm not actually going to sing a song here, so don't worry. So anyway, we learn that Valen has this weakness, and it has saved us for the moment, but now she knows it too. And so there is definitely some concern that its usefulness is limited at best. But for the moment, Valen needs to steer clear of us, uh, so we do, so we do gain a small advantage, uh, for now. And one other thing during the fight with Valen is the force of the conflict was enough to trigger the bomb's detonation sequence, and we now have three minutes, ha ha ha, to disarm it. And it's an actual three minutes, meaning it's a timed quest, and there aren't many timed quests in the game, and I usually don't care for them as a whole, but this is probably the best use of a timed quest that I've seen in a long while. It fits so well with the story and creates this nice layer of immersion with the, with the story itself. Now, once you disable the bomb, we arrive at the moment many have been waiting for, and that's to kill Koth. But I believe this is only an option if you abandoned the Alliance. And I have to say, they've done a really nice job so far with these final moments uh, of the story characters. Senya's final moments, if you chose that, were extremely touching. And I thought they did a nice job with Koth as well. He's resigned to his fate, and his final words are, Goodbye, Lana. So it was it was very well done. Very well done indeed. And the chapter ultimately ends with Scorpio in control of the gravestone. She orders all organics to abandon ship or forfeit their lives, at which point the ship comes to life and launches into hyperspace on its own, to which Scorpio says it's going home. So Scorpio is good in this chapter, and again we see she is walking her own path and enacting her own agenda, and that she's not afraid of anyone. She's just this master manipulator. And Valen is powerful and dangerous, and Scorpion doesn't even hesitate to try and manipulate her. She has no fear of being melted down by Valen, or anyone for that matter. And in fact, Valen feebly attacks Scorpio on the bridge, and she ends up getting grazed with blaster fire. Yeah, that's right, uh, Scorpio just pulls out a gun and, and, and shoots her and just kind of nicks her on, on the shoulder. So, so yeah, Scorpio is, is not to be trifled with at all. So, all in all, I thought this was another strong chapter in Knights of the Eternal Throne, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, got a lot of good information, learned a little bit more about Balin, uh, some insight into her childhood and into the type of person that Valkorian is. And again, like I said, you got to kill Koth if you chose that, which was a, a, a really, a really good moment for a lot of people. And then we learned a little bit more about Scorpio and just, just, just see that she really can't be trusted and everything she does is for her own personal gain and she is actually very good at that and she is more in control of things than we'd like to admit 
Well, that's it for this week. Uh, next week, I'll talk about any galactic command changes that are announced, and I will review Chapter 4 from Knights of the Eternal Throne. But with that, I definitely hear the music, so that can mean only one thing. You've managed to survive another half hour, give or take, listening to Episode 23 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 24 on February 7th, 2017. And remember the Sith Code, cake is alive.